Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. It's 4th of July weekend, Independence Day for our nation. And with our current climate where racial tensions and racial injustices are on our minds, many have asked, independence for whom? Freedom has always been such a battle cry for America. But many of its citizens do not and cannot feel safe. And if you can't feel safe, how can you be free? The passage today is going to say a lot to us in light of our current moment. And I want to address two groups. I want to address those of us, those of you who are minorities. I'm a minority in this country. I meet people, new people, almost every week. At least I did uh, before quarantine. And uh, one of the questions that people often ask me, not always, but often, is this. Where are you from? They ask it not so much because of how I look, because of how I sound. And it's a gentle reminder to me that my roots lie somewhere else. And that is by God's design, not mine. And that's a good thing. Before I was born, my mother lived in New York City for about five or six years. And then a few other months when I was a teenager. And so one of the things that she impressed upon me, uh, perhaps more than anything else before I came, or as I was, as I was getting ready to come from Colombia to the States, she said to me, be sure to get some McDonald's fries. They're the best. You know? No, that's not what she impressed the most. But what she did impress on me the most was this, learn English. She said, whatever else you do, you must be able, you need to be able to speak their language. And so that's what I've done, and I'm still learning. And there's so much more that I could say, but I wanted to say to you, if you're a minority, that this is with the elders, is that our church family will reflect the ethnic diversity of and complex ways. So please join us and reflect then the glory of God in more beautiful and complex ways. So please join us in praying to that end. But we want to listen to you. We want to love you. We want to make you feel welcome always. We want to learn from you how to do this. And we can't be naive. This ideal of being racially and ethnically diverse is very challenging even within the church. It's right there. It's right there in the book of Acts in chapter 6 as the church gets going. These were all Jews who loved Jesus in Jerusalem. And yet many of them were Greek in culture and language, whereas others were Hebraic and kept all Greek influences at bay. And right there, there is division. We can't be naive about this. Now, as a minority, if you are black, I also want to say to you that the blood-stained history of this nation that I love so deeply and the inequities that are still perpetrated against black people break my heart. I don't know how America will atone for its sins. This runs so deeply. This is so big. I bring to mind Lamentations 2.13. Your wound is as deep as the sea. 
Who can heal it? I know who can. We know who can heal it. But until he does it fully and with finality, there will be much pain. And it should break all of our hearts. I also want to address those of you who perhaps feel that this whole issue is overblown. You feel that you're not racist, you've never personally oppressed anyone, and your own life has been difficult and marked with adversity. Let me just say two things to you. Remember that our God does not define justice as doing no wrong, but as correcting oppression and pleading the cause of the voiceless. God doesn't say to us, you stay out of trouble. He says to us, Find where trouble is and injustice and oppression and then fight to correct it. And so in light of that, in light of the fact that that is who our God is, may I then put before you and plead with you to listen and learn, to educate yourself. We have compiled some great resources that you can read or watch or listen to. They're on our website. Would you do that? Love requires no less. If you were pregnant expecting a baby and you found out that that baby was going to be born with a certain illness you would get busy learning about that illness why because baby is a part of you a part of your family well there's a significant part of our family that is asking us to learn about racial injustice love requires no less I also want to talk to those of you who want to be activists and crusaders for the cause of racial justice. Recent events have been devastating to you as they should be. And you want to do something. You want to do something. And it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Our hearts should break over the things that break God's heart. And hatred and injustice are near the top. Just read the prophets. And so I hope that you can lament. Lament before God. I hope that you can cry before God and join the psalmist who says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Bring to him all your repulsion and confusion and anger. He can handle it, and he wants to comfort you in it. But I also hope that you will educate yourself. Because zeal without knowledge can do more harm than good. And I would ask for your patience. We're fighting an evil with at least 400 years in the making. Our Instagram posts are a drop in the ocean. This is a marathon, not a sprint. The biggest gains we make on significant issues take a lifetime. So this cannot be about us. About us appeasing our conscience. This has to be about Christ and justice and love for our black brothers and sisters. And so for all of us, there are many evils and many injustices that we can and must be passionate about correcting. Take your pick. Girls sold into the sex slave trade. The life of the unborn. The effects of American consumerism on our brothers and sisters around the world. Refugees without a homeland, orphans without a home, the poorest of the poor without food and water. Take your pick. We don't have enough hours in a lifetime. But we all, 
can grieve in our hearts and denounce in our circles all these evils. And we can all put sustained energy, action into maybe one or two and pray, beg God that we may make a dent. It is clear that God is putting front and center before us the issue of racial injustice. So please do not harden your heart. The text today shows us the way that we can make the biggest impact in our generation. Let's dig right in. Two ways people approach God. Luke 18 verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, aren't you enjoying this series on some of the parables? I am amazed at the wisdom of Jesus. So many of his parables are so short. His work count is low, but his impact is high. And he always manages to sneak up on us and grab our stone-cold hearts and expose to us our utter self-interest. Now, one of our disadvantages as we read these stories, being removed almost 2,000 years from them, is that to us, the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're always the bad guys. They are cold, they're religious, they're legalistic, they're proud. If the Gospels were a spaghetti western, the Pharisees would always be wearing black hats, right? But that's not how it was in Jesus' day. Not even close. The Pharisees were respected. They were well respected for their devotion to the word of God. They were respected. They were admired. Other Jews saw them as perhaps the way that we today see lawyers, right? We don't love lawyers, but we want to know a good one, right? Think of Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisee of Pharisees. What was wrong with Paul before he came to Christ was not that he was a Pharisee. It's that he didn't have Christ. And so this is a story about a Pharisee. Someone well respected. Someone who cared deeply about the word of God. Perhaps not very different from you and I in that respect. And it's a story about a tax collector. Someone who was not well respected. Tax collectors were seen as sellouts. They taxed the Jews, their own people, to send the money to Rome. And as usual, people in financial services are well compensated. So this is a story about a good guy, the Pharisee, and about a bad guy, the tax collector. Okay? Because here's the thing. They did not read verse 9. The audience didn't read verse 9. They didn't hear that verse. Look at what it says, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus didn't say that. This is Luke writing this to help us understand what's going on with this story. Much like when you're watching a movie, right? You're watching a movie and you're getting into it. And oftentimes we as the audience know more than some of the characters in the movie. It's part of what helps us get into it, right? So we're watching and we're pulling for people. And we're like, no, no, don't take the apple from the old lady, right? Well, in this story, we know more than Jesus' audience. 
we know that this is a story about people who trusted their own righteousness and treated others with contempt. So the Pharisee and the tax collector both come up to the temple to pray. Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee and the tax collector go to the temple to pray. But their posture and prayers show us such a stark contrast. What does the Pharisee pray? He says, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm not like other people, extortioners and unjust and adulterers. I give of everything that I get. I fast twice a week. What's going on here? This guy's not really, yes, this guy's not really praying. He's complimenting himself. As a matter of fact, if you get rid of the first five words in his prayer, look at this slide. This is what you're left with. Do we have a slide? Look what you're left with. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That reads like a resume. Right? This guy's really impressed. Not with God, with himself. He loves himself. This guy loves himself. You learn nothing about God in this prayer except obliquely that we should thank him. You learn a ton about this tax collector, this Pharisee, and in not good things. We gotta think about that a bit more. You see, he says, I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer. Hey, listen, I don't wanna be an extortioner or unjust or an adulterer. And God doesn't want me to be those things. It's good to not be those things. So what's the problem? The problem is how the Pharisee views himself and therefore God and therefore other people. Did you see what he says? He says, thank you that I am not like other men. Not even this tax collector. His goal was not to become like God in his mercy and grace, in his steadfast love and faithfulness. No, his goal was to one-up everybody else. His sense of worth, of self, came from comparisons, unfavorable comparisons, where he ended up looking like a star. You see, you know, some of the ways that I've been the most convicted about my sin is in my marriage. Marriage is sin on display under a magnifying glass. Did you know that when you got married? The officiant should have just come right out and said it. Do you, John, promise to sin against your wife in horrible ways as long as you both shall live? I do. <laughs> I have. And one of those ways is I've unfavorably compared her to me. Anyone here done that? And when, when what I've done dawns on me, or when what I've done, when she points it out to me, it's disgusting. I disgust me. The pride in unfavorable comparisons is so ugly, so vile. 
so low. And yet we do it all the time. We do it every day. Think about any time that you start a statement or think a thought that starts with these words. How could you? Or how could they? Think about that. How could these kids be so unruly? How could people not be for this cause, this movement that I'm so passionate about? How could you be of that political persuasion? I mean, think about this. If you're a staunch Democrat, you think, how could you be a Republican? If you're a staunch Republican, you're going to think, how could you be a Democrat? We do this all the time. How could they spend so much money on fill in the blank? Their house, their car, their clothes, their vacation. We do this constantly. I mean, look at social media. Someone will post an idea or opinion, and then so many others will just chime in and say, how could you think that? How could you believe that? Right? You see, the hidden premise in those kinds of comments, the hidden premise in those kinds of things is what the Pharisee actually believes and thinks. I'm so grateful that I'm not like you. You see? But we hide this. We hide this from ourselves. We hide it from other people. Oftentimes we don't know this is what we're doing. And so Jesus here wants to be helpful to us. And he's very raw. Did you see what he did? I don't want you to miss what he did. He put on the lips of the Pharisee the kinds of thoughts that you and I have all the time. As a matter of fact, there are some public officials that irk people today to no end. And part of that is because they talk like the rest of us think. So that's the Pharisee. Do you see yourself? Because that's part of what Jesus is doing. He's masterful. He puts on his mouth what we think and then he says, do you see yourself? Do you see how you do that? How about the tax collector? Look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So by posture and content, the tax collector is so different. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Right? He's so burdened, crushed by the weight of his own sin. He beats his chest in remorse. But the most telling feature is the prayer itself. It's a mere seven words compared to the Pharisees' 33 words, long resume, listing stuff. The tax collector simply says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't say, God, so thankful for my job, so thankful that I don't collect more taxes than I should, so thankful that I love my family. It's not a resume. It's a plea. He's pleading. He's appealing to God's merciful character because he knows, he recognizes that he is a sinner. You see, the Pharisee told us a lot about himself. I thank you. I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week. I give up everything. I mean, he's just getting bigger and bigger. This guy lives in me world. Right? He's like, God, me, 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 God. Me. Do you see me? The tax collector really only told us one thing. 
one thing about God, that he's merciful. And one thing about himself, that he's a sinner. That's it. You see? What's the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector? Their heart. See, the way of the kingdom is a heart matter. It didn't matter that the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, that he fasted more than the law required, that he gave up everything that he got. It didn't matter because he was full of himself, not full of God. He felt so good about who he was, which is what our culture tells us again and again. Feel good about who you are. The gospel tells us feel good, feel great about who God is for you. In Jesus Christ, totally different. Which is why Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel. And this is why the gospel is so difficult for people to receive. Because it makes a demand on the heart. It makes a demand on our heart. The man who was accepted, who was justified, was the bad guy. He's the bad guy in people's eyes, the tax collector. He doesn't have the resume. What did he have? Two things. He knew, God, you are merciful. I'm a great sinner. That's what he had. And that's why Jesus says he was accepted. He went to his house justified. What's in your heart? Are you full of yourself or are you full of your God? You see, the heart matters. The heart matters to God. Your resume, your causes, your network, your net worth, they're not impressive. What matters is the heart. And we learned three weeks ago from the parable of the soils that the only way that we can get a good heart is from Jesus giving it to us. By faith. That's it. So how can this parable speak to our current moment of racial tension and anger and misunderstanding? Because it matters to me that we honor God as we walk through this crisis. That we honor God as a church together. So let me leave you with three words. Contempt, prayer, humility. Contempt, prayer, humility. Let's start with contempt. Jesus told this parable against those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And this current crisis in our culture is fraught with opportunity for us to look with, to each other with contempt. Black people can feel like white people are never going to get it. Things are never going to change. Those of you who want more action, more going on, can feel like, why aren't people doing more and posting more and saying more? Those of you who feel largely and have been largely unaffected by racism in your life can feel like, hey, this is not my issue. Don't make it my issue. I'm sad for what's happened to you, but I didn't do that to you. Here's the thing. Whatever position you take, you need to know. You must know. That you're going to be tempted to look down on others. You're going to be tempted to think that your position is the correct one and everyone else is missing it. But can I just encourage you with something that's taken me a long time to learn and I'm still learning it. You cannot be the spirit of God in someone else's life. I've blown it with this so much. With my wife. 
Because I can be convinced that I see her flaws so clearly. And if I could just convince her, you know, get her to pay attention to my priority list, which happens to coincide with what serves me well, she would shine so sparkling. You've done that. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. You can't change anybody. And God doesn't want us changing anybody except ourselves. Here's the thing. Whatever God may be convicting you of in this current moment, don't assume that he's convicting everybody else of the same, to the same degree, in the same way. God is always doing a million things. Through the pandemic, through the economy, through the racial tensions. He's doing so much and you only know about one thing. You. You see, what this moment should be doing for all of us is helping us see how much we are like the Pharisee. How much hatred, how much anger, how much injustice we tolerate, how much of this lives within us. Should be helping us see how small-minded we are, how much self-interest animates our deepest desires. Do you see this? Are we seeing this? We need to ask God to show us the contempt that we nurse in our hearts for others and then repent. We need to look at ourselves. Are you more focused on the nation, on the sins of the past, our forefathers, the sins of someone else, your spouse or whoever else, political party that thinks differently than you? Or are you focused on yourself? Do you see the contempt that's there? what Christ is laboring here to show us because he loves us like the tax collector can you weep can you come before God beating your chest in remorse crushed by the weight of your sin can you see it can you because otherwise the cross the atonement of Jesus to you will seem like a pebble that he picked up off your back and dropped. Not like the boulder it is, crushing you and plunging you to death. And so ask God to show you the contempt you nurse toward others. Number two, prayer. Prayer. It's so instructive that Jesus framed this parable as a prayer, isn't it? Because what does prayer do? Prayer reveals our hearts like nothing else. In prayer, we stand naked before God. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector are laid bare through their prayers. I mean, think about this. You might, if you only pray for a few moments a day, you might be able to get away with some rote prayers. God, thank you for my life, for my kids, for my job. Thank you for Jesus who paid for my sins. Protect and prosper us today. Amen. Okay. And then what? What's going to happen after that? See, I call that the second grade prayer. It's prayer at the level that a second grader can articulate which is great for them. Not for us. 
And so what's going to happen? You see, what's going to happen is if you keep praying, okay, so at first you're just going to get through those rope prayers. Man, I find it in myself. I'm like, oh, happened again. Praying about the same things. But then what? What happens is if you stay there in that moment of solitude, of silence before God, what's really in your heart will begin to emerge. What you store, what you nurse deep in your heart, the muck will begin to surface and your true self will be revealed to you. Not to God. God already knows it to you, to us. You want to do something really scary? Write down all your prayers for one week. Just one week. Everything you pray. Want to do something even scarier than that? Hand that over to someone else to tell you what they see. And just be ready. You see, but this moment, so much is going on in the world. So much is going on in our nation. And what this moment demands of us is that we bow before God in prayer, in tears, devastated by the weight of our sin, by our ability to turn a blind eye to injustice and oppression all around us, lamenting the peace our land may never know this side of heaven. You want to change our generation? Post less. Pray more. Finally, humility. Humility. Jesus says in verse 14, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. What qualifies you? What qualifies you before God? What's your posture before God? Are you full of yourself or are you full of God? Are you emptying yourself more and more of who you are so that God can fill you more and more with who he is? Do you feel good about who you are in yourself? Or do you feel great about who God is for you, for you, in Jesus Christ? Think of how different this prayer would have been if the Pharisee had come to God seeking to empty himself. God, I praise you. Because you're exalted in the heavens. I praise you because you're near the brokenhearted. I praise you because you're sending as the Messiah. I praise you because you are with your people Israel. On and on and on. Praising God. God. Letting God be the central character in his prayers. And in our life's story. Who's the main character in your story? In your life? See for the tax collector. It was God. He says, God, have mercy on me. God, this is what I need you to do. Would you do this? Is that your posture? Do you have the posture of the tax collector? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Are you convinced that the character of God is merciful? Oh, I pray that you will leave this place today convinced that God is merciful merciful in his nature God loves you listen to me God loves you God forgives you he receives you he accepts you in his son Jesus Christ he's for you children what'd you do this week did you do something 
that made you guilty, ashamed. You need to know that God loves you, that he's for you. you receive his forgiveness, receive his love for you. Are you convinced that he's merciful in his character? Are you convinced that you're a great sinner? God loves you. God is good. It was so good to sing about him. God, you're so good. He forgives us. He forgives us in his son. Think about this. God is able to be merciful to us sinners because he was not merciful to his son Jesus who is sinless. Do you see that? God is merciful to us sinners because he was not merciful to his son who is sinless. God is able to say to us, I will never forsake you. Because Jesus had to say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So burn your resume. It avails you nothing. And let's walk, let's walk humbly with one another and beg our God to extinguish all contempt for others from our hearts. Let's pray. Yes, Father, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Father, we confess to you that it's so natural for us to wake up each day living in me world, me, full of ourselves. confess that to you, but we also pray and ask you that you would make the miracle of conversion, the miracle of the new covenant true for us, that you can fill us more and more with the fullness of God each day as we seek you by the name of Jesus Christ. So thank you, God. Oh, Father, I pray that you would convince each one of us, make us know, make us assured in our hearts you are merciful, that you are good, that we don't need to hide, that we don't need to one-up anybody else, compare ourselves with others for our sense of self-worth. No, God, we have nothing to hide. You know it all, and you're merciful. You love us. You come toward us. You forgive us and transform us. Please, let that soak in for each one of us and be transformative. I pray that we may be able to be convinced that we are sinners, the worst of sinners. That Paul, as he grew more and more in his understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, was able to say, I'm the worst of sinners. God, teach us to say that and know it and believe it with no shame. Teach us to know that there is more grace, more mercy in you than there is sin in us. How amazing that is. Holy Holy, holy are you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.